Uh, it was great, uh, just, you know, serving God together, serving these kids, it was wonderful. So, you guys, this morning we are continuing our 12-part series in the book of Ephesians. Hopefully you all just reading through it, and then reading through it again, and reading through it again. We This book is just so packed. It's like the ultimate zip file that can be extracted. It's wonderful. And so last week we talked about how God made you into a masterpiece with the purpose of expanding His kingdom, Right? God didn't just save us from something, he saved us for something. And so today we're going to go a little further in Ephesians chapter 2. It's going to be quite exciting, kind of fun. Um, Because in this passage, it was almost sort of like the original original church racism. What? Right? Because what we're seeing here is we're seeing two communities, two races in conflict in the church. And so he is talking specifically to the Gentiles or non-Jews, right? So the church originally, it started with the Jews. Jesus, Jew. His 12 disciples, Jews. It was a Jewish movement. And then Paul comes along and God says, hey, we need to bring the gospel to the Gentiles as well. And so so Gentiles, non-Jews, basically, we're referring to in this case, and uh, so he's speaking to the Gentiles. They are, uh, they're not Jews. They found themselves in this new movement, this new Jewish movement of following Jesus. And my guess is this. My guess, you know, I'm, I'm no theologian and I wasn't there. So my guess is that these Gentiles um, maybe had found themselves feeling a bit out of place. They're in this movement. They're surrounded by Jews. They might have felt a little out of place. They might have been uh, felt a little insecure, maybe. And Paul, for some reason or another, felt the need to reassure them that they were welcome. You're welcome, okay? Here, it's okay. And so I don't know about you guys, but there's been a few times, a few situations in my life where I felt a little bit out of place. I know none of you ever feel out of place. Um, you always feel in of place all the time, right? Anybody here ever feel out of place? Yes, okay. And uh, I felt myself out of place. Um, Didn't really feel like I belonged. I remember growing up, I grew up in a broken home. My folks divorced when I was roughly 10 years old. Uh, We didn't have much money. So uh, my dad was, was, would be considered what you call a deadbeat dad, right? Like, they get divorced, he skips town, no child support, none of that. And so... Here I was, it was my brother and my mother and I. We had nothing but a $500 welfare check that came in on the first of the month. And uh, when you are a single mom trying to raise two boys that eat a lot, and all you have is $500 and food stamps, uh, you know, that's what we had. Uh, In the family that I grew up in, we we didn't have, you know, it wasn't a Christian home. And uh, there weren't many Christians, and there was a lot of dysfunction Right? There was a lot of the dysfunction in my family in that situation. And then when I was around 15 years old, uh, my mom married. She remarried, and it was a guy who grew up in the church. And so a few years before that, my mom dragged my brother and I to church, and that's how we got saved. We didn't even have a car. We, we had so little money that we actually had to walk down to the nearest church. 
And that's how we ended up in church. My mom was watching uh, Pat Robertson on TV one day on the 700 Club. And he, said, and he said, he talked about praying the sinner's prayer. And so he prayed it over the TV, and my mom prayed it with him. And at the end of the prayer, he said, now go to church this Sunday. And so my mom woke my brother and I up that following Sunday. We said, what are we doing? We're Catholic. We don't go to church. And... Uh, so my mom drags us out of bed. We walk down to church. The nearest church was in Assemblies of God, and it was about a mile away. And so we walked about a mile to go to church that day. I remember thinking to myself, this is going on forever, this service. He's been preaching for five hours. He must have, right? And it just felt so different. But she dragged us to church, and she met this wonderful guy, and uh, they are married now, still to this day, some of you have met him, but he grew up in church. And so the, the cultural dynamic between how I grew up and how he grew up and my sort of new family was so incredibly different. And uh, so we would go over to his parents' house at Christmas time and we would do things that were incredibly foreign to me to do at Christmas time with your extended family, like pray. Right? That's not how we celebrated Christmas growing up. Growing up, we celebrated Christmas by drinking a lot of beer. Right? So we would go over to his house, his family's house at Christmas time. We would do things. We would pray. We would sing songs. We would smile at each other. Right? No one was drunk. No one was yelling. We didn't have to go outside to get fresh air because the house was filled with cigarette smoke. We didn't have to do those things. It was just a new thing for me. And I felt awkward. I felt out of place. In fact, I even kind of wanted to rebel against this sort of like pristine Christian atmosphere because it was so foreign to me. And, uh, and so, I, I, in fact, I felt so out of place. A lot of times during that season of my life, I even would refer to myself as things that were not valuable. Like I'd say, th- I would refer to myself, oh, I'm just a scrub or I'm just whatever, right? I just came from, uh, you know, lower, cl- I don't even know what to call it, but... But you know what they did in all of my sort of rebellious attitude, all of my anger, all of my feeling out of place, is they, they welcomed me at the table. You know, they set a place for me at their giant dining room table where they would serve ham every Christmas or a big, huge tub of spaghetti, it seemed like. And they made me feel apart and they treated me like family. They treated me like family. There was never a moment where... Uh, they ever did anything to make me feel unwelcome or out of place. It was, it was me. I brought it with me, right? But they welcomed me. And it was really just a neat picture of what God does when he adopts us into his family, right? He adopts us into his family. He sets a place for us at his table, and, uh, and we're welcome. And I don't know, maybe you felt like you don't belong, or maybe you feel like you just don't play well with others, I won't tell me who, but somebody here told me today, if you tell me not to do that, I'm just going to keep doing it, right? <laughs> Maybe you just don't play well with others, right? You know, whatever, you, whatever your situation is, you know, wherever you're at, I believe that God wants to speak to us about his desire for us to be family, about his desire for us to live in unity, about his desire to contribute to the strength of his church, Right, And so we're going to talk about this. I love this passage today. We're going to dig into it, but first let's pray. God, we love you. We welcome you. We thank you, God, that you welcome us at the table. The table's big, God. We're all welcome to it. 
And Lord, you love it. You love it when your kids all gather at the table and get along, <laughs> gather in unity. And so, Lord, I pray that you would cause your word to come alive in us today, that you would cause your word to, to uh, bring healing, God, that you would cause your word to sort of just penetrate our hearts and, and bear good fruit in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. And so uh, today in this passage, Paul, like I said, he's addressing, he's addressing the uh, Gentiles in the church of Ephesus. And the thing is, is the fact that Jews and Gentiles during this period of history were worshiping together was scandalous, was absolutely scandalous. And it was a big deal. And it hadn't happened for generations of Jews. In fact, it had never happened, you know, for generations of Jews, right? And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 16 through 22, it says this. It says, together as one body, one body. So even now, Paul's using this terminology, this word one body. He's not even saying like, you know, two bodies getting along. Together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups. So he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's reconciled them to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. So he's already he's just addressing this. Our hostility towards each other has been put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, bringing a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. I don't know about you, but as a Gentile, uh, I feel a great sense of relief when I read the scripture. I feel a great sense of Ah, thank you, Jesus. You included me too, right? You included me too. And so, if you remember one thing this morning, I want you to remember this. This is the big idea. The bigger the family, the more blessed the kingdom. The bigger the family, the more blessed the kingdom, right? And so, it's really important to understand that the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible is the story of God and his chosen people, Israel, right? So a lot of times, what do we do when we read scripture? We read it through our own cultural context. Like, like a lot of us, I think we read the scripture as if God wrote it to 20th century white people living in America. Like that's how, that's sort of our filter. And that's natural because we are 20th century white people living in America, right? And so we can tend to read it through that context. But the whole, whole Bible is written to and about the Jews, so you get to this point and all of a sudden Paul's talking to the Gentiles. And what a relief to know that all of a sudden we're included. We're included. Right? And so the whole story of the Bible, it's about, it's the story of God and his chosen people Israel. The Old Testament talks about God, his creation, and his people becoming a nation. In the New Testament, we see God's son, who is a Jewish man, right? 
who's born as a Jewish man who teaches in synagogues and disciples 12 Jewish men. But now Paul is saying, hey, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome at the table. This isn't a club that's just for those who look like us, who have traditions just like us, and follow all of our rules. Everyone is welcome. And then he breaks it down. And so the first thing is this, is Paul says, put hostility to death. Right? Those are pretty strong words. He doesn't just say, behave yourself. He says, put hostility to death. And I, you guys, I can only imagine, like, if this was today, if, this, if all of these things that we're reading that Paul's talking about, if this was today, how different things would be because of social media. Like, think about where most of us, we go, well, I'm not a hostile person. But if we go through, like, our social media feeds... And we see like the memes that we post and the articles that we share, and you and, and you just got to call BS on it, right? Because like that's kind of how we share our hostility now. And so I was thinking, I was like, what would it be? How would that look if we lived today? And so I, I don't look. I made like a couple of memes. I thought if this was happening today, what would these memes look like? Or if there was social media back in the day, what would people post? And so uh, these aren't necessarily my feelings or the feelings of Mercy Vineyard Church, but it's maybe what things might have looked like back in the day if social media was there. And so the first one, I was thinking this. When a Gentile says he can play the tambourine. There might have been like a meme that sort of looks like that, right? <laughs> when a Gentile says he could play the tambourine, a Jewish person might have posted that on social media. And what, what's the next one? When you want to hang with your Jewish friends, but you don't want to get circumcised. You know, you, you, you join the New Testament church. That's what, you, that's what you do if you're hanging with your Jewish friends. Not my feelings. Not my feelings, right? Okay. Uh, what's this next one? When you're worshiping next to a Gentile and he's tone deaf and can't dance. Yeah, you, know, you might make that face. I'm so glad you're smiling, Gary. <laughs> uh, what about this last one? Jews during small group discussion be like... <laughs> huge brains. <laughs> they got huge brains. They know it, right? So every time there's a big divisive news story, the hostility online ramps up, doesn't it? Anytime it's big enough to have more than one opinion on it, all that hostility ramps up. I've, I've kind of reached the point now where whenever we reach towards the end of an election cycle, I just don't go online. I just don't do it because I'm like, I can't stand the hostility. And there are actually friends, even uh, longtime friends, that I've just had to go and like unfollow because I just think, I can't stand that hostility. You know, I, I, don't, I don't like it. But Paul, because Paul says, hey, let's put hostility to death. To death, right? We don't need to do that. We don't need to be divisive. We don't need to be hostile towards each other, online or otherwise. And so our world is just so uh, hostile towards those who are different, right? If they're different races, different, uh, different opinions on racism, different political persuasions, even hostility towards other Christians who don't interpret Scripture the same as we do. We get hostile and we post snarky things online, right? And so we all get triggered and rude and, and, and act like, like we're better than someone else, right? We're better than others. And guess what? We're not. You know, Paul even says that consider others as better than yourself. Consider others as better than yourself. 
And so Paul says to put that kind of thinking, that kind of behavior to death. Put it to death. Those are really strong words, and I love them. Put it to death. Set it aside. And so um, the question is, what area of your life, in what area of your life do you need to put hostility to death? Because here's the thing. We get hostile because we think we're right. And in a lot of cases, what we do is we feel like we have righteousness behind our hostility. Yeah? Oh, I'm righteous in this area. There's righteousness behind this. I'm, I'm right and the others are wrong. And because I have a sense of righteousness, because I have a sense of, of, of morality behind this, then I'm, it's okay. Then it's okay to call people out. It's okay to be hostile. It's okay. Because I have a sense of righteousness, a sense of morality behind this. You know, the, 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 the difficult part of that is, you know... Adolf Hitler felt like he was very righteous and very right. Yeah? Every evil person that ever came along, it wasn't because they were like, I'm evil, like some sort of movie villain. It was because they felt that they were right in their situation. If you ask any, uh, any hardcore communist, they'll tell you that they're right. And those capitalists are wrong. Right? We all feel this sense of righteousness and we feel that it gives us a license to be hostile. We feel like it gives us the okay card. It's, it's the, I'm going to play that card. I'm righteous in this. I'm right and they're wrong and that's why I'm going to be hostile. But Paul says put hostility to death. Put hostility to death. All right? Because here's the thing. When we all get to heaven, we're going to find out we were wrong. When we get to heaven, we're going to find out we were wrong. And so, why not put hostility to death and spend that energy praying? <laughs> if we spend as much energy praying as we did in getting snarky and hostile, we might see revival. Yeah, we might actually see God move. And so, put hostility to death, okay? And so, the next thing is this. We're all family. Yeah, we're all family. Paul says we're all members of God's family. We're family. And uh, in my family, and probably yours, um, one person isn't more important than the other, right? One person might have a little more influence because one person might pay the bills in your family, okay? But we're, we're all equal in my family, and uh, no one is more important than the other. It's a level playing field. And one person isn't more valuable than the other. We, we do life together in our family. We serve each other in our family, right? One person might cook, others might clean. Uh, some might vacuum, some might, you know, whatever. But we, we all serve each other in our family. We laugh together, we cry together. We walk through difficult times together. We're a family, okay? And family doesn't or shouldn't gossip about each other, right? My kids don't gossip about me, and I don't gossip about them, because we're family. In fact, in the family I grew up in, if I would have been caught gossiping about another family member, I might have got a beat down, right? Like, family doesn't gossip about each other, and we as the church are family. And that's why, like, you know, we treat gossip, gossip like it's just, uh, like, toxic, like, you got a viper in the room if there's gossip. And one of the things that I love about this church is that when one person gossips to another, most of the time, the person listening goes, yeah, you know what? I'm not the person to talk to about this. Go talk to, go talk to Lee and Wendy. This isn't my business. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's family doesn't gossip about each other. Family doesn't openly criticize each other. 
You will never, ever, 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 ever look at my Facebook feed and have, you know, with, with me sharing an article or a blog post about how my wife is, uh, you know, has uh, bad farts. I don't know, whatever, you know. But, uh, but you won't see that. But we see that in the church. We gossip about each other in the church. We share social media articles. We share blog posts. We share different things uh, about the church on social media, forgetting that we're gossiping about our family. All right? We don't do that. We don't openly criticize the church because we're family, and we don't do that in family. Family doesn't walk out on each other because they weren't stroked just right. Right? So we have to understand that we are family. Family loves because we're committed to each other, because we want to see each other blessed. And this is what Paul is talking about. Put away that hostility, okay? We are all family. And so the last thing is this, is that the strength of the house depends on the peace of the people. Let me say that again. The strength of the house depends on the peace of the people. The strength of the church depends on the unity, right? Paul says, together we are God's house. Together we are his dwelling. Together the church's strength does not lie in its programs. I'm sorry. This church, its strength does not lie in RFK. This church's strength does not lie in our children's ministry, does not lie in our worship team, and it definitely does not lie in my preaching. Okay, The church's strength depends on the peace of the people, the unity of the people. Okay, And so, uh, it, it, so put away hostility. We're all family. And so the more we get along with each other, the more we love each other, the more we love others, the stronger the church is. Right? Let me say that again. The more we get along with each other, the more we love each other, the more we love others, the stronger the church is. In Psalm 133... David says that God pronounces a blessing when we live together in unity. He pronounces a blessing when we live together in unity. Now, you guys, I've read the Bible cover to cover many times. And this is, this is like the only place where I see where it's like, yeah, that actually will, that's like, that's like some, some, some versions say God, you know, unity commands a blessing. Like some, some versions say that, where it's like, what's one thing that will bring a blessing from God? What's one thing that will bring a blessing to God according to Scripture? Unity. When we, get to get, when we get together and we live in unity, when we live in harmony, when we live together in unity, that brings a blessing from God. Right? And so a lot of times that requires laying down our pride. A lot of times that, you know, kind of... Uh, 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 requires us to maybe just set aside our preferences, to set aside our opinions and things like that. Because when we want God to bless our church, because if the church is blessed, guess who else is blessed? You're blessed. Your community's blessed, right? Every, everybody wins when God blesses the church. And so that happens when we live in unity. And so we even look at the life of Jesus when you read through the Gospels. And you think about it, Jesus knows at this point that he's about to be betrayed. He knows this. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he knows that his time on earth is about to be over. And he is there praying, and he's, he's sweating blood and all those things. And you know what he prays for? Unity. That his people would live in unity. 
One of his final prayers on earth are, God, let them live together in harmony. Let them live together in unity. He prays for us to be one. He said, let them be one, Father, just as you and I are one. All right? That's awesome. That's awesome. And so he prayed for that. And so the question is, is how can you? How can you be a greater unifying force in the church? All right? And ask yourself, how can I be a greater unifying force in the church? I hope, I hope you guys kind of maybe meditate on that question a little bit. Maybe just think about that question a little bit. Don't be super fast to answer. But ask, God, how can I be a unifying force in the church? And so God wants this big family. Because he's a father, right? Naturally, he wants a big family. He wants a diverse family. He wants one that refuses to be hostile towards each other and towards others. He wants one that chooses to rally around what unites us instead of what divides us. And there's so many things that can divide us. Silly things, silly things. People, people are divided in churches over such silly things. I've seen people leave the church just because of like, the volume of the music, you know. And, and, and the choice of songs or, you know, whether or not a message is too deep or not deep enough or, you know, all those sort of things. You know, you may, maybe you've heard people go, I went to, the, I, I left that church because I was tired of milk, you know. And I'm like, well, why don't you go feed yourself some meat then, you know. It's like, you know, people, will, they, they leave over silly things, silly things. But God says, hey, I just want us to be one big church, one big church that refuses to be hostile, that chooses to rally around what unites us instead of what divides us. One that will work hard for unity because that's where the church's strength lies, is in unity. Everybody awake this morning? Yeah. And so I'm going to just pray, and and we're going to bring the worship team back. But I want to encourage you just to meditate over those questions this morning. How can I be a more unifying force in my church And in what area of my life do I need to put hostility to death? And so if you need prayer this morning, I'd encourage you to go back and see Bethany. It doesn't have to be anything that I preached about. But if you need prayer for anything, go back and see her. I think Barb should be back there too and uh, get prayer. They would love to pray for you. But if the worship team wants to come back, why don't you come back and I'm going to pray. God, uh, we just come to you this morning together. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to be people of unity, people of unity. And I thank you, God, that we don't have a lot of, like, strife and divisions in our church. That, God, we're, I think we're pretty unified. But, Lord, I pray that, that you would take this good thing that we have and make it even more. God, that you would increase unity in our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to be uh, unifying people. God, those who seek that togetherness, those who seek that unity, those who seek to humbly serve you, God, and seek your blessing for our church and for our community, for our families, God. I pray, Lord, that you would show us those areas in our heart and in our lives, God, where maybe we're a little hostile. Maybe we're a little hostile. We don't even know it, God. We don't know it because we feel like we're, we're right. That we're righteous in our anger. We're righteous in our hostility, God. God, I, I pray that you would expose those areas to us. And help us instead, God, to be unifying people, agents of unity. God, for your glory, for your honor, for your praise. In Jesus' name.